Hello and welcome to Inside Music, episode number 71. I'm your host, James Shotwell, and I should start with an apology. There was no episode of Inside Music last week, and for that I am very sorry, but there are two very good reasons why that happened. The first is that Holix is very close to releasing the new version of our platform, and I have been working hard with the team behind the scenes to get it ready for launch. Second, and what is probably way more important to you, the listener at home, is that I've been working on what we are calling May Madness. Now, if you remember, March Madness is all about basketball, but May Madness is all about music. You see, a few weeks ago, we realized that there is a ridiculous amount of great music coming out in May, and we wanted to feature as many of those albums as possible on the podcast. So we started reaching out to different artists, and to our surprise, a lot of them said yes. Like, way more than we were anticipating. So in the coming weeks, you're going to hear five, six, maybe even seven episodes of Inside Music, and each will feature a different artist with an incredible new album you need to hear. And it all starts today with Astronautilus. Now, I know not everyone listening right now is a big fan of hip-hop, and especially not underground hip-hop, but Astronautilus is a name I urge you to commit to memory. He signed with Side One Dummy Records late last year and is releasing his label debut, Cut the Body Loose, on May 13th, but really, Astronautilus has been a part of the underground hip-hop world for the better part of a decade, and he has a fervent fan base that stretches all over the globe. Whether he's performing in downtown Minneapolis or in some tiny farming town on the outskirts of Russia, he has people in attendance. This guy is an incredible force in the world of music, and he is endlessly creative, as evident on Cut the Body Loose. It's a record that speaks to the power of the human spirit, for the, to the ability of any individual to get from where they are today to where they see themselves being in the long run and overcome any barriers that stand in their way as long as they're willing to work at it. When I hear Cut the Body Loose, I feel inspired to go after all those goals that I always tell myself I'll find time for one day, or is that always just a little too far out of reach? But this record gives me the faith that I can get there, and I think it will do the same thing for you. This episode is a little special because Astronautilus is the first ever artist to come to the new Holix headquarters in Minneapolis and record his episode of Inside Music in person. We sat across from each other for over an hour and talked about his entire career from beginning to present day. We talked about the influence of Miami on his sound and how we both share this mutual love of Trick Daddy, and if if you don't know who Trick Daddy is, don't worry, you'll find out in this episode. And a whole lot of other things. It's a really great conversation with a guy who could not be nicer if he tried, and I'm very excited for you to hear it. But before we get there, I do need to tell you three very important things. The first is that our sponsor is Holix, the music industry's leading digital promotional distribution provider. What that means is that Holix works with record labels, managers, publicists, and independent artists all over the world to share new and unreleased music with members of the industry at large without fear of piracy. Should leaks occur, Hawk has state-of-the-art technology that can not only stop the spread of unwanted files online, but also track down the people responsible for the leak. For more information on Holix and access to a free 30-day trial, visit Holix.com. That's H-A-U-L-I-X.com. Again, H-A-U-L-I-X.com. Commit it to memory, go to the website, check it out. Secondly, you need to be following the podcast on Twitter, at Inside Music Pod. That's at Inside Music P-O-D. We post updates on guests who will be on the show, music from our guests, links to industry blogs, and a whole bunch of other stuff. It's really fun. I like interacting with all of you, so please join the conversation on Twitter. And finally, buy the new Astronautilus album. Cut the Body Loose hits stores on May 13th, and it is one of the best records of the year 
and one of the best records of May, which as you'll soon learn is really saying something. I'm going to go as far as to say you should go ahead and order the album on vinyl right now. Whether you're listening to this record before May 13th and you're able to take advantage of all the cool pre-order bundles, or if you're listening to this record sometime after May 13th, just go on, decide one dummies roll website and buy a copy of the record on vinyl. I know it's a lot to ask you to commit 20 or $25 to a record you have yet to hear or from an artist you might not even know that much about, but I'm telling you, it is that good. I have so much faith that you're going to love this album that I'm willing to tell you to commit this kind of money up front. And if you're afraid to, just tell me. I'll buy you a copy. First person that tells me they want a copy of this record on Twitter at Inside Music Pod, I will buy you a copy of this album. So go ahead and do that as soon as you finish this conversation because I need you to finish the conversation first. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. But okay, I've covered our sponsor. I've covered the Twitter, which again is at Inside Music Pod, and I've told you about the amazing new album from Astronautilus. So all that's left for you to do is to sit back, relax, and enjoy this conversation. Thank you so much for listening. Six months and Ola's still a wreck My ninth war still had water to your chest Under I-10, they pile dead cars Ever seen an ambulance with high water marks? And they don't dance no more, all we do is fish Race for that old taste to chase a strong fist With blood on it, and blood and bricks It taste that whiskey, kids more sweaty and brave Fuck a club, motherfucker, take that shit to the streets yeah. We It's, uh, what day is it? Is it the 6th? Man, you're asking the wrong guy. <laughs> I don't know what day I think, think we're five is. weeks away from the album hitting stores when we're talking today, which is kind of exciting. Yeah, that is exciting. How are you feeling so far? Excited. Um, it was a really long process. Um, we kind of went about things, not to get too sort of inside baseball on it, but traditionally when we make a record, we would always sort of like take our last record to a label and be like, this is our last record. We want to make a new record. Can we have an advance to make a new record? And for this record, I had the kind uh, support of Justin Vernon to help me make my record because I wanted to make my record and then take it to labels and say, this is the record. Because most times my next record is very different from my previous record. And I think I have a sort of good um, pattern of disappointing labels. You know, my, <laughs> old lab- my old record, and then I give them something totally different. And I knew that this record was going to be markedly different than anything I had ever done. Yeah. So it was really important for me to just make it and bring it to people and say, are you interested in this? If not, cool, thanks for the dinner. Um, and so this record has been done a long time. Yeah. I mean, I've been writing it for five years, Damn. touring my brains out for my last record, um, which was great, and that like was a really wonderful thing. But then you know, we, I finished recording almost a year and a half ago now. Wow. Um, and it's, man, the most arduous part of a record release is the, is the part between finishing the recording and then releasing it because you're just sitting on your hands like waiting for the world to judge you someone to care yeah, yeah you want when you want like just let me know like you feel like you're at the gallows or something yeah, yeah you know and like let me know if i'm innocent or guilty here um so i i, I had kind of had to put myself into hibernation about it for a while we sorted out label stuff and figured out our stuff aside one dummy and cargo records but now that like all the balls are rolling and I get these like awesome emails from Side One and Cargo about like cool this is you know your merch we're making these things we're yeah. gonna make a you wanna make a flag let's make a flag oh, yeah, and I, I'm starting to get super excited again which is which is a great feeling so I, I 
I've fallen back in love with my own record again, which is a nice feeling. Mm. So when you took the album to side one initially, let's let's start there. Let's mm-hmm. start with side one because you and I were talking about it right before we started. Yep. So when when in this process did you first start talking with side one, and how did that kind of come together? I think about January of last year. year? Yeah, All right. about so, a year so ago. The album was almost done by then, or it was done. By it was then. done, recorded, and we had just yeah we just finished mixing. So I just finished mixing, and that's when I started to side, talking to side one. Maybe a little bit before. I'm a little hazy on that. Um, but like side one, one of the things I really appreciate about that label is that um, they're a small label, yeah. and they're a small label that has stayed in business a long time, and they do that by being very careful with who they pick to sign. And so we talked to side one. You know, by by contrast, like I've never. <laughs> That's a lot to talk about. No, um, go ahead. We got no, no, but but like by contrast, I, I you know, I've worked with really well-intentioned labels that had you know that had uh, a lot of heart. Yeah. Maybe even had money, but didn't have resources. Mm-hmm. And then I've worked with labels that had a lot of money, but didn't have a lot of brains or heart. Like <laughs> I never had sort of all of it come together. Yeah. And so as a result, like I've you know never really had a real record label. Um, uh, yeah, I would agree. Knowing the labels that you've been on. Yeah. And so like there and like in the way that like, and that's not a disparate. That's absolutely. I'm saying that completely with the intent to insult some of those people. And absolutely <laughs> not to insult others. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. And, but like. Uh, Side one, like we started talking to them and we're shopping our record around and there were some people that came to us and they were just like, we want to put this record out right away. Let's do it. We've got a ton of money. I've got all these people behind me. It's going to be this <laughs> thing. And side one was so much more cautious and they were just sort of talking about like ideas and what does the record mean to me? And they listened to the record and like, you know, talking about our, our history and, and it was a very slow it was like a dating. It was like a first date situation. I've never, okay. me and my manager, like he's my best friend. We've been working together forever. And um, we never had gone through that. And at first it was like, sort of like, what do we, what do, we do? Because we want to put this record out. But then, it, and as frustrating as it was, but like ultimately, I'm really glad that they put me through that ringer. Like, because, you know, it took a year. Yeah. We started in January and we like finalized contract and stuff like at the end of last year, basically, mm-hmm. um, give or take. You know, um, and it they're cautious, and that was like, um, and that all started. Uh, my friend David Lewis, who we were talking about before, um, who used to run Jade Tree Records and has now moved to Finland. Um, <laughs> uh, he was the one who suggested side one, and I think put the bug in the ear uh, of Jamie Coletta about my record. And then I also know the Interjects and Jihad guys, and Jeff Rosenstock is I met on my first tour ever. Like I've known those dudes. A lot He's a great dude. Days. He's done this show. Just oh, a good man. guy. What's up, Jeff? Through <laughs> podcast through time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that's sort of where that ended up in Cargo, my European label. Um, we've worked with them through distribution forever, yeah. and we have always really liked them. But we've never had an actual label in Europe, and so that they wanted to work with us. And we, Europe is probably, I probably, Europe is a faster growing market for me than America, even. And mm. I thought I'd do really well over there, but I've never even had a real record label. My art records have just been imported there and word of mouth or whatever. Oh, yeah. So it would be super exciting. I'm super excited to have actually people working. <laughs> very cool. It must be weird to be like, uh, you're over a decade deep at this point and to just now feel like this is the first like proper release. It's, man, I've had a conversation with my manager Brock about it. Like, we are so, you know, DIY to you die for so long. Um, and then there's this like realization of like, when, when everything got settled and we were starting to really move forward on the release and I got the email from side one that was like, 
cool. So this is George. He's in charge of marketing. This is Christina. She's in charge of manufacturing. <laughs> this is uh, Jamie. She's in PR. And so we're going to need your ideas for this and this and this and this. And like, and it was like, this is the people you're going to talk to when you have questions about this. Cool. What are your ideas about marketing? And I was just like, ah, mm. <laughs> can you, I know I've probably done marketing, but can you explain <laughs> to me exactly what marketing is? Um, yeah. So it's been, it was an adjustment period to realize like, oh, we don't have to do that. <laughs> like, that's cool. And so there's part of me, like, where, like, it's still, I'm still finding balance. <laughs> like, trying to get used to not being totally DIY. Now, was the Psyche P always a plan, or did that come about through the negotiation with Cyborg? Um, It was Sidemon's idea, which was great, because... You got the, that extra song, Papillion's on there. Yeah, yeah, and then, um, and also... Uh, uh, you know what it is, and um, what is it called? Interbellum. Um, <laughs> this is so. This is the first record. Like traditionally, I had a rough idea how I wanted this record to structure. There were sort of anchor points that I wanted that needed to be on there, mm. um, and then because of the way I had plotted the sort of arc of the record in my mind, there was sort of a lot of flexibility in the middle. I knew how I wanted to start. I knew how I wanted to end. Right. Um, but it was the first record that I had ever like. Um, normally, like. I know the track list and it's not flexible. Mm-hmm. Um, and I might listen to your opinion on it <laughs> and I might acknowledge it, but and very rarely do I change it because generally, like some records, like my second record, I knew the track list before the songs were even finished. Yeah. Like, you know, and this was, this was the first time that I was like, look, I want this here, I don't want this here. I'm open to suggestions. And so I gave it to my manager, I gave it to my agent, I gave it to my labels, I gave it to my girlfriend I gave it to my friends like I gave it to my producer and just was like what do you think and side one made some sort of drastic changes and like um that when I first saw them on paper I didn't totally get and then when I listened to it I was kind of blown away and this is again sort of them taking the time they spent weeks listening to it just like hanging out in the office playing it like drink a beer after work and playing it <laughs> and figuring it out and like to me that was like um super great man it was great that they just cared that much about it and when they came through with the suggestions I was kind of like my feathers kind of rose up a little bit, and then I actually like put it on my. I was on tour in Europe, and I arranged like the track order and a playlist on my iPhone, and I listened to it, and I was like, "Oh, this is actually really good." And a song ended up on there that I didn't think was going to end up on there. One of the songs got cut that I didn't wasn't intending to cut, and it ended up on the EP. Um, and so, yeah, that was sort of like a that was a big thing. I mean, a to like for me to like relent control, yeah. But yeah. then uh, additionally. To realize, like, oh, they're they're right. Like, they know what they're doing. Like, this, is, this is a really great idea. And so we yeah. came with the idea of doing the Psyche EP. Um, partly, too, because we haven't had a record in five years. I mean, yeah. I've had, like, uh, other projects and stuff, but I haven't had my own record in five, you know, four and a half years or whatever it is. Um, and so that was really important for them, too, to sort of have a tool to kind of kind of get the gears in motion. And also sort of announce, too, that we were, you know, sort of changing labels and moving in a different direction with things. Now you're now side one isn't known for being a hip hop label by any means. Like maybe the opposite. Mm-hmm. So, but they do they do these forays where they'll they put out an Eric Griffin comedy album a couple years back. They do a lot of these like side project kind of ideas. So, what was it that made you know that they like could do this for you? Um, was there like a moment that you were like, okay, they got it? I mean, I I kind of realized a long time ago um, that I'm not. I, I'm probably, while there are rappers that are going to like what I do, I'm never going to be in vogue in the rap community. <laughs> and especially, too, because rap is such a young person's game. Mm-hmm. And I'm getting older. 
You're um, not going to be an XXL freshman. No, I'm not. It's not going to happen for me. And I'm not going to play the fader forward at South by Southwest. Like, that's just not, like, in the cards for me. And that's fine, but it's no, not it's, in the cards. It's, and that's totally cool. Like, I'm cool with that. Because, like, the, I, there was a time when I was really I was really frustrated with that. Um, but then there was this, like, moment of clarity where, like, I'm, yeah, I'm like, really frustrated, but I'm, you know, playing, you know, for a thousand people. <laughs> like, cry me a friggin' river, Andy. Like, it's, it's one of those realizations that, like, oh, yeah, while this record that I have made is the most rap record I've ever made in my life, and it's probably pretty funny that I put it out on a punk record, um, <laughs> punk record label. Um, more than anything, the thing that I was more interested in was a li- all the mo- like the first and most important thing that anybody I work with needs to have enthusiasm for what I do. Mm-hmm. That I and they ha- have to understand that they're not going to get um, something from me. Uh, they're not going to get something from me that you know. I'm not a traditional musician. Like they're not gonna get the same thing from me that they can always get from a lot of other people. And my records are gonna differ from each record. There's a certain way I tour. There's a certain way I, I work. Like that, if they can get all of that, I think it'd be and then they could be excited about that. That's the most important. And that was like really very apparent when I started talking to Side One and when I met them and when I went to their offices that they were they got me and then they were enthusiastic about it. And that was like that's a, the biggest hurdle. And then the rest is like okay, cool. So now how can we make this work? Like from a business standpoint. Um, it was never really, the genre was never really an issue. Like, I just I like felt that. that they got what I was doing, and that was what mattered most. And I think it is at the end of the day. I mean, you just, you want people who get what you're doing and can kind of promote that idea, whether or not you're right next to them. Yeah, and I want people to just be excited about it. Because yeah. I'm an enthusiastic dude, and I want people to be enthusiastic with me. And when I come with some <laughs> harebrained idea, I want them to be like, yeah, absolutely, I totally get that. Now, you, we kind of touched on this a second ago, but how, how would you describe your music to someone that's never heard it before is is alternative hip hop a thing like, I mean I hate I mean like I don't know I, those it's, sort it's of a label thing is hard right yeah I mean those sort of I mean like genres are um, I think the job of fans and journalists um, and not musicians um, and like and, that, and I understand like I am not so stodgy about it that I'm like you know that I'm rebelling against I understand there's a need to classify things there's a need to clarify um, I always think of myself as a rapper um, even when I'm making a country song, I still write it like a rap song. Like you yeah. can, if you take a lot of my slow, sad songs, and if you speed them up and put 808 drums <laughs> in it, then you would see that like the patterns are similar, yeah. still there. And so there's a lot of like attention. I'm beholden to rhyme. Like I have a really hard time not rhyming things. Mm-hmm. Like I, I like working in rap song structure. Um, and so I always see myself as a rapper who just happens to make other stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I like that. There's a reason, like. But it, there was a reality that I kind of came to with this record that like, oh wow, this is my first rap record, and there was a reality that like, I've been a rapper who's just making been making indie rock records for a long time, <laughs> and like periodically rapping, and now, um, I, I feel more like a rapper. Than like I a rapper. Had, but I mean, not to get, and we're gonna jump ahead here for a second. But yeah. to be fair, the title track is not a rap track necessarily. No, no, it's which not. Which is which is kind of strange because it's the only song on the record that kind of has that mm-hmm. like not a rap song mm-hmm. to it. It's undeniably not a rap song. One hundred percent not a rap song. But it's also one of my favorite tracks on the record. But it does hit you, and it's deep and trackless. Mm-hmm. So when it hits you, you're just like, whoa, 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 whoa wait a second. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right, all right. That's that's what I, you keep you on your toes that way, I guess. Well, there's an intent, and um, this is going to be a long way around, but Go there's ahead. a sort of intentional um, song structure mm-hmm. to the record. Um, the song, the song, that the concept, the, the title "Cut the Body Loose." The song "Cut the Body Loose" is all about this idea. Um, 
this moment uh, in the ritual of a jazz funeral where the funeral procession is it's so a jazz funeral, you have the, the actual funeral and the procession leaves the church with the coffin and the pallbearers. Yeah, the and brass band. Brass band, and they're playing funeral dirges and they, and they move, march along. And it's just super sad songs, very weepy, incredibly like cathartic, heavily emotional thing. And when by the time that the coffin reaches the gates of the cemetery, um, the pallbearers and the coffin go onto the grave and the brass band and the mourners cut the body loose and they walk along without it. And that's the moment when you shift from playing funeral dirges into playing and the saints go marching in and it becomes like this New Orleans second line, it becomes a big party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the idea, the structure of that record, the, this is sort of the overarching theme of the record is the ability to like cut the body loose of uh, things in our life, the suffering of the world, the problems that we face, the small things, the big things, the gigantic things. The entire record is just um, whether they are upbeat songs or fast songs or slow songs. That entire record up until that point is a relentless barrage of like anger and sadness. <laughs> There's some upbeat melodies. There's some upbeat melodies in there for sure, <laughs> but it is a sad, it is a sad and frustrated yeah. and angry record. Yeah. And then it gets to that point, and that song it cuts the body loose, and then you have Psych, which is a fucking party song. Yeah, it does turn way up after. And that. then you have Boiled Peanuts, which is this like kind of wistful, super optimistic, like romantic idealist song mm. and so that's that record that song plays a very important like this is very like nerdy things that people don't care about other than me mostly um but <laughs> like deep, we're the only two but we're having yeah, a conversation but <laughs> deep in that comp deep in that it's deep in that record because it should just build build and build and build and build and build until you cut the body loose and then you're just ready to party the rest of the record out yeah yeah no now that you put it that way it does it does make sense and it makes sense in the flow and it, it does catch you off guard but it, it does feel like the end of something and then you notice that there's some tracks left and you're mm -hmm. like holy crap like what what could come after this? And it should, and it's like that's when, when I first pitched the track order for the like when side one pitched the track order they were they removed Psych from it because they're like yeah Psych doesn't really make sense where you put it. And I explained the whole story and they're like no Psych makes perfect sense where you put it. we have to keep Psych right there. It is um, true. It is true. If you if you've already heard Psych you might not know what the rest of the record is gonna sound like. Yeah, and so when all of a sudden and this is what's really exciting to me is that like people haven't heard the record yet and so they've heard Psych and they've heard Running Away from God and they are like so confused <laughs> and I'm really excited because we're going to put another song out soon and it's just going to confuse people even further which is I'm super excited um, alright well we'll get to the other stuff let's go right to the album because we're already into mm -hmm. it um, let's, I like so let's talk about Kurt Cobain was this always the opening track? always pretty much like from the jump yeah um, the intro uh, it's just a real quick but the first few lines I mean it gets at the, the, the hook obviously kind of has that idea of like we're starting something get, get the energy going get the energy but even the opening line the, all the cool kids in the north wishing they're from the south the kids in the Dixie everyone wanting to be somewhere else mm -hmm. I feel like that kind of also runs with the theme of the bigger record like mm -hmm. maybe before before cutting the body loose there's that there's that desire to like be anywhere else but whatever you're going through mm -hmm. at that moment is that am I on the right path? Yeah, yeah, for sure. There's a, and there's a, and it's sort of like what you do to deal with that, like because ultimately, like we're, um, man, we're really gonna wax philosophical here, but like <laughs> all of us are sort of dealing, I think, um, dealing with like a greater fundamental like disenfranchisement or dissatisfaction at some point in our life, whether it's every time we turn on the news or whether it's our job or whether it's, you know, living in America or whatever. There's, we're all dealing with a thing that's frustrating us and it's a really strange time to be alive. And I think, honestly, I think that we are, um, 
part of it. Bottom, we're not evolved enough to deal with all the information we're being given right yeah. now. And I think that it's going to catch up over the next couple thousand years or whatever. <laughs> um, there's a really, I can get really nerdy about that, but that's... Um, it's, it's true. We'll digress. Uh, yeah, but so um, the, the record is fundamentally about like being angry or frustrated or disenfranchised or disconnected or feeling overlooked or, or out of touch. Um, all of the sort of, you know, those kind of notions. And then, but the core of the record is what you do with it. And one of my, you know, biggest frustrations with them um, on the record with the West and America specifically, but the West in general, is that we just complain about it. Yeah. And I've had the good fortune of traveling to a lot of places that are dealing with, honestly, much more real problems than we deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, and those, I don't see those people complain about it. I see a lot of those people working to fix it. Um, and so the record is at its core about those frustrations, about that like sadness, about that anger, about that disenfranchisement. But then it's sort of like showing different different examples of how people deal with it. Mm -hmm. um, and so yeah, Kirk Cobain is definitely really about what are you what are you gonna do? what are you gonna do what are you gonna do about it? What do you think is the uh, the importance I guess or the symbolism of there's a lot of references to other musicians in Kurt. I mean, there's mm -hmm. Kurt Cobain, there's John Lennon, mm -hmm. and I know there's a couple others that pop up. Is is there any significance to those choices or? I'm a huge. I mean, it should be said too that like I have a uh, I take jabs at a lot of pop culture figures on this record yeah. and the EP as well. And all of the people that I take jabs at, I am fan, a fan of. But I like, started to make a list today where I was like, man, he's referencing quite a few things in here. I should. Like, yeah, <laughs> and, and like, and I'm a fan of. I mean, Kurt Cobain. Like, I wore a black arm patch when he died. Like, when I was in middle school, and like, I had long blonde hair and a gray sweater with thumb holes cut in it. And, you know, like, I was that kid. <laughs> but I also think that there's an important like um, the romance of sadness and depression that goes on on the internet now is really fucking annoying to yeah. me. And like, I get so frustrated. You know, and, and, I, and the thing that frustrates me about it is that like, I have been sad and I have <laughs> been depressed and it's not tight. It yeah. sucks. It sucks to be that sad and depressed and the romance that we sort of have for that is gross. It is real gross. It's really gross. <laughs> and like, and Kurt Cobain is just sort of like a small little like, we, you know, like, we romance a lot, a lot about him, and I especially I love Nirvana and Lennon for that matter. Lennon, like, absolutely. There's a huge amount of romance and sort of whitewashing of both of their histories, yeah, yeah. and um, we sort of are cherry picking a lot of things and using. And I guess my in that song specifically, but then all, all throughout the record is we use a lot of these people as we cherry pick their great, the things we like about them to use them as an ideal. Mm -hmm. Oh, wouldn't it be great if John Lennon was still alive today? Wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> like, like, would it? Like, you know, oh, wouldn't it be great if Kurt Cobain was still alive today? Where Kurt Cobain wrote songs like nobody else wrote songs. Yeah, he did, but like, there's a lot of other good songwriters. Like, there's so I think that there's a lot of like we cherry pick ideals from these people and we create these like kind of we put them up on a pedestal and create these unattainable ideas for these people and ultimately use those unattainable ideas to sort of like, oh, I'll never achieve that. Mm -hmm. And so it's sort of a rationalization for mediocrity a lot of times. I think our um, the power that we give to concepts, celebrities, yeah. um, our history, nostalgia is oftentimes a romanticization. R romanticization. It's yeah. a big word. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> to like that ultimately like rationalizes our own our own complacency. Like mm -hmm. things will never be like they were in the good old days. And so. Yeah.
I think if time has taught us anything, I, I have that thought a lot about um, rock and rap especially, but I always feel like if history has taught me anything. It's that if Tupac was still alive or if Kurt Cobain was still alive, they'd either not be writing or recording music, doing a reunion tour, or on Dancing with the Stars, if yeah. not all three of those. And I don't want to see Kurt Cobain or Tupac on Dancing with the Stars. Yeah, no, totally. <laughs> and it's like, and I'm not saying that I wish that that person, I'm glad that that person is dead. It's nothing like that, but it's just like, I think that we have a... Um, we're, we're really into what ifs. We're yeah, really we're, we're really into like the positive what ifs. Of, like, what if you could stay around and they wrote three more Nevermind? So, yeah, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, they, well, they probably wouldn't have. Yeah, they, no one does. If they do, we, have, we have celebrities that have lived this long and they don't, they don't keep going up like that. Yeah, yeah, and it's very, it's very rare. <laughs> yeah. Not everybody's David Bowie. Yeah. Like, no. that's a very, I mean, David Bowie was David Bowie cause, and he was a, he's a friggin' unicorn, man. Like, there's not <laughs> exactly. a lot of people that could be that, like, uh, present and, and um, prolific and yeah. continue to produce quality. Speaking of production, John Congleton, is that how you say it? Congleton? Yep. I don't want to mess up his name. Now, did he do your last record or just the one before the last record? He's done this one, the previous, and the one before that. So he's right, done so the last three, three records. Yeah. So I have to imagine that like part of that whole pivot that you always do kind of plays into what he's, he comes from the rock world mm-hmm. a lot more. So going to this record, where did this the sound of this album is so very specific of, through across especially the first chunk all the way up to cut the body loose mm-hmm. where does that come from for this record when you when you where does the sound come from these albums because they do change so much yeah. well john is john's a rock dude but john is also like a just a music guy and he's a really <laughs> informed um, he loves rap music and we started working i think initially like i knew him through living in dallas but just sort of vaguely and i think he initially worked with me on my first record because i think he wanted to work on a rap record. Get into rap, Because <laughs> he just liked rap music, and then um, and I was sort of like a not traditional um, and wanted to work with a producer in the way that a rock producer exists. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so this record, like, I came to him, and I, um, he's really good about, every time I make a record, I try to um, set limitations for myself, set rules, um, okay. and try to be really hard and fast about those things, because I don't want to... I don't ever want to be comfortable when I make a record. I don't want to kind of rest on my laurels. I don't want to resort to old tricks. Like a lot of times, making a record is all about hitting a wall and figuring out a solution. Mm -hmm. And it's really easy um, to hit that wall and do the same solution every time. For a long time I did, my solution always was to add more layers, (laughs) add strings, add another layer of drums, make it bigger, bigger, bigger. And it got to the point where eventually like, I feel like with the last record I got to really make it as big as I wanted Mm -hmm. because I had a budget. And I, like I knew people to play strings, like that sort of thing, and so I feel like I really achieved that, make it bigger. And so the solution for this record was never like I can't do that ever again. I can't add another layer. The solution is you have to figure out another solution. Congo is really great about like enforcing those rules. When I come to him and I'm like, I want to do this, I want to do this, I want to do this. As for the sound, I wanted it to sound like the rap music that I grew up in and around. I grew up loving like New York underground rap music, DITC, um, that sort of thing. But then I was living in Florida at the time of the Southern Explosion, like Trick Daddy in Miami, um, Organized Noise. Not enough people remember Trick Daddy. She's a genius, man. He's really, (laughs) truly, and like, he's probably the biggest influence on that record. And one of the things that people don't understand about Trick Daddy, everyone listens to Trick Daddy and they'll just be like, yeah, Trick loves the kids or whatever, and that's a good song or whatever. But like, Trick, man, he, the Miami scene, like the Miami scene is such an interesting scene because it's like, dudes like Trick Daddy, it's two lap crew. Mm -hmm. Like, it's really ultimately at its core party music, but like Two Live Crew is super political. Like Two Live Crew, there's Supreme Court hearings about Two Live Crew. <laughs> like Two Live Crew then in response made band in the USA. Like they, they were First Amendment like kind of warriors, like and not intentionally, mm-hmm. but when it came down to it, they didn't shy away from it and they embraced it. 
And so there's a sort of weird, like in a culture of music that's based entirely mostly around butts, like <laughs> there is a sort of also political commentary that's woven into it. And Trick, like man oh man, like he, one of the things that really blew my mind about him is his ability to talk about thug culture, talk about like drug culture, um, but at the same time interweave this sort of like political narrative in it, in his own voice. And I think a lot of times because of the way he speaks um, and the way he looks and the way he acts, he was sort of just, people looked over what he was actually saying. And I th he's really, I thought, a pr pretty profound writer. Um, so he's a huge influence. And one of the things that like, that era of Southern music was really cool, with Trick Daddy, with No Limit Records, um, like Juvenile's Ha and stuff like that, um, all the stuff coming out of Atlanta and 8-Ball and MJG in Tennessee and the Houston scene. Um, was there the drums, they had these 808 drums, yeah. super cheap drum machine, but they would compress the hell out of them. They would knock super hard. And they were all like, particularly Trick, it became really signature sound with like using uh, marching bands and sounds mm -hmm, and stuff, mm -hmm. which is like Florida. Yeah. Um, like the best, the biggest like um, battle of the bands is this thing called the Florida Classic. And it's a battle between two like uh, traditionally black colleges. They play a football game. Mm -hmm. um, and no one goes to watch the football game. They go to watch the bands. Like <laughs> so the football like, teams are terrible. So it's like the end of Drumline. Basically. It's basically it's exactly what that is. And it's, <laughs> and, it, and it's crazy. You watch YouTube videos. It's amazing. And so like when you hear songs like "Shut Up" by Trick Daddy, like the, there's this like grandeur to those that have this like nasty like brum, brum, yeah. really awesome hitting horns and really awesome drums. And like that to me was the core of what I wanted the sound to be. What's really cool about that too is that stuff is really low-fi. And so this record is a really gritty record. Yeah. Um, it's a really crunchy record, and it's there's almost no live instruments on it except for um, a full brass band. <laughs> it's almost all like 808 drums, synthesizers. There's a little bit of organ, a little bit of piano. There's no guitar. It's just brass and and like bass, bass, bass. Gritty is a really good way to describe it too. I was getting like I don't know, maybe it was three or four songs into it the first time, and I just remember thinking like I don't even know if I would dance to any of these songs necessarily, as much as like you kind of you vibe with them, mm -hmm. and you get into it, but it's there's a lot to pick apart. Like after you get even before you get to the lyrics, you're like, damn, there's a lot going on in, in these productions that aren't necessarily meant to just make you move. They're more like it, it's a different approach to kind of beats that I I, I found really interesting because I can Thank you can man. sink your teeth into it. A That's more. I mean I I want to make. The older, like I've made weird records. I've made super weird records and I felt like I pushed myself and I pushed my genre a little bit, you know? And I and now I, I really enjoy, um, I really enjoy like the, the um, challenge of being elegant in a song, of doing more with less. I really enjoy the challenge of making a song that makes people dance and sing along, but also doesn't make them feel stupid. Like there's a really like, um, thrilling thing in it's like it almost feels like writing haikus or something and like finding just the perfect amount um as opposed to like you know making an 11 minute like exploration <laughs> song which you know i'm glad i did and i'm glad i did it but like at the end of the day like i'm really enjoying the challenge of sort of trying to be elegant in how much can i make you think in three and a half minutes yeah yeah exactly and still make you want to sing along and go back and listen to it yeah. like there's a lot of records like man oh man that the latest kendrick record i think is brilliant um the record the EP as well the is, untitled, is brilliant, but, yeah. but the, the, the record, Pip Butterfly's record, is brilliant. And when it came out, I listened to it nonstop, 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 nonstop. And it's an incredible album. Um, and I think it's so exciting that it exists, but at the same time, like, I'm not listening to it as much as I used to. I'm listening to Vince Staples' record, <laughs> which is a similar record with commentary, coming from a similar, you know, area with a similar background, um, but it's just a little bit more listenable. Yeah. Um, and... 
and that's not a discount on either of those records. I think they're both wonderful. But yeah, there's a part of me that like I made I made my weird records that people like can tear apart and put headphones on and listen to. And now I really want to make records that make people dance and sing. Well, I think there's like a fine line between creating like a cohesive album where you like to pimp a butterfly. I love, but there's a part of it that is only appreciated if you listen to the whole thing front to back. And that's a like commitment sometimes. But you you got you want it to work that way, but also if I just have time for one song. Yep. You know, totally. Which on that record, it's like all right is a song that for works sure. on its yeah. own outside the record, but not every song on the record works that. No, way. no, no, for sure. I mean, and that's like there's not yeah, there's songs on there you're just like yeah. It would make no sense outside of the record. For sure, and if you just like if you're just trying to like turn up and clean your kitchen or whatever, and you put on all right, then all of a sudden you know that yeah. song where he's really drunk, you know, in the hotel room, yeah. and you're like ah, this is kind of killing my vibe right now. <laughs> and like you you know you bounce through Mortal Man and stuff, and like there's yeah. great songs on that record. It's a perfect perfect record. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's that de- that is definitely not. Um, and it's it's definitely not a uh, it's not a Sunday afternoon clean <laughs> No, it's not. Let's uh, another one that is not a Saturday afternoon song. Maybe running away from God. Yeah. Let's let's so this is the second single off the album. First real one if we discount Psych for being on having its own EP. Mm-hmm. It has a video. It's out now. People can watch it. It's dope. You run more than I've probably ever run in my life. And ran more than I've ever ran. <laughs> so okay, I don't, let's start with the video because I find it so I find it so entertaining. Where did you did you shoot it here in Minneapolis? Not in LA. Um, my friend Megan Thompson shot it um, in uh, Van Nuys. And you just ran all day. Just ran all day. Yeah, I flew out there. I ran all day, and then I flew <laughs> home, and then I got home, and I was like, Oh my god, I'm dead. Um, yeah, I don't run unless I'm being chased. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that was that was Megan. Megan directed my, a video of mine a while back called uh, for the song Wondersmith and His Sons. Where okay, she yeah, has I've me seen, okay, I've seen that. Dragged one. behind a car, and she dragged me behind a car. Literally, actually, dragged me behind a car for about eight hours <laughs> in the desert. Was like, that easier or worse than running all day? That was harder for sure, and it was one of those things that like I had to fly. I flew to Australia the next day, and um, and I like was on the plane, and I like my arm hurt so bad <laughs> um, from just being dragged by one right arm. So like Megan is now like. She's dragged me and she's made me run and like I think that the next one she's gonna try to drown me or something. <laughs> I mean, I had thought I was like, if he's gonna do take a title seriously, do boiled peanuts and just be yeah. safe. And just yeah, just super peanuts. easy. Just boil some dead peanuts. Um, so, so what's what made this song the next one to release? And again, New Orleans references. Mm-hmm. It's all up in. So this, this there's a few of them on this record. So. Yeah, for sure. What do you think? Where do you think that? Let's start there. Where do you think that comes from? The New Orleans was well, from when I went first went to New Orleans. Um, when was that? Uh, ten years ago. Okay. So ten years ago, months. almost about ten years and a month ago, um, I went for my friends Mary Elizabeth and Charlie. They were getting married, and uh, they about a year before Mary Elizabeth was from Laurel, Mississippi, and she got engaged. She said she was going to get married in New Orleans. She always wanted to get married <laughs> in New Orleans. She loved New Orleans. She got family in New Orleans, and then Katrina hit and. I remember calling her up once and being like, what are you going to do? And she's like, I'm getting married in fucking New Orleans. <laughs> and so it's six months to the day after Katrina hit, and I had played a show in Orlando the night before. Me and my manager played, and we drove all night okay. from Orlando. Not an easy drive. No, it was a brutally long drive. <laughs> and we got to New Orleans, and there's still standing water. There's still no street lights. The street signs are gone. And this is before GPS. We got around. This is when we toured with just like a trucker's atlas. And so we're like there, like looking at a map, being like, I have, we have no idea where we are, yeah. trying to figure out how to get anywhere. And we couldn't afford a hotel. We got dressed in the bathroom of a Whole Foods. Um, <laughs> and like we showed up just like so grimy at this like, really classy <laughs> Southern wedding. Um, but like one of the, that was a real big thing for me. Hey, it's the first time, anybody's first time goes to New, go to New Orleans is a real big thing. Um, it's a real magical place. But then to go then, 
And I'm from Florida. I'm, familiar, I'm really familiar with hurricanes. I know what hurricanes look like, and I've never seen anything like that before. Yeah. Um, and uh, what was really interesting is to, like, oh, that city is special. And that city is a sort of a case study in determination. Um, and I have since from that time gone there a lot, made friends with a lot of people from New Orleans and from Slidell and from Baton Rouge and all around. And um, watching those people still sort of persist um, in spite of and despite you know, the setbacks that they went through um, is a really sort of amazing thing. And I'm really fascinated by people that make choices that um, are not rational, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, I, and I think that a lot of times it's important to make choices that are not rational. Uh, it doesn't make sense to stay there. Um, <laughs> it doesn't make sense to stay there, and it doesn't make sense for that place to be a city, but that place has to be a city, and those people have to stay there. And so that's like a big kind of, con like a big sort of theme throughout the record, and that's why that's sort of a big construct in there. And then beyond the fact that like, New, um, music of New Orleans is a huge influence on this record, not just the rap music, like No Limit and stuff coming out of there, but like old um, trad jazz and some of the weirdos from New Orleans, like Dr. John and like kind of like Professor Longhair, people like that, um, Alan Toussaint, like those guys were, I was super obsessed with that music while it was going on and it's still am. Dr. John is sort of kind of like my be all end all. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, that, that city is sort of omnipresent on the record in mm -hmm. a lot of ways. So back to the other question, why why running from God as a promotional thing? What what is it about this song? For you? I mean, like the I means. So there's part of like part of that is like the label thinks it's good, you know. It is, yeah. yeah I mean, it's so, a good song. I thank mean, you. First and foremost, it's good. So part of it is like the label thinks it's good, and like I thought that this was the, a good song that people would get into, um, but also I think it's sort of um, I wanted to put out Psych first. Because I always, a long time, my friend who oh, made my first two records with, this guy Radical Face, um, yeah. has always said, he said to me when I was making my first record, I had a song on there that he was like, it was really different and weird, and he, and he, he was like, you should just put it first on the record. Um, and, I was, and he was just like, you know, if you're going to do something weird, you might as well just throw it in people's faces. <laughs> and so I was just like, I've always sort of had that mentality, like if I'm going to put out a record like if there's a song on it that's just a weird song let's put that one out first and confuse the hell out of everybody <laughs> and sort of like you know like kind of like scare them and then yeah. sort of ease them back in okay. um and so i wanted psych to be first and everyone else agreed uh and then but running away from god like beyond the fact that i think it's it's a good song it's a song that i've been playing live a lot people are familiar with um to a degree people have been wanting to hear sort of in depth um they it really gets to the heart of the record like in a lot of ways um that idea of you know, people in adverse situations sometimes making rational or sometimes making totally irrational choices um, out of determination and will and sometimes out of spite. And so the first verse is about that trip to New Orleans, about them getting married despite all rationale. The second verse is about the first time I played in Slovakia in a town called Chatsa. Um, some guy wrote me on Facebook and he was like, hey, you want to play Slovakia? And I was like, yeah, sure, I want to play Slovakia. And I'm sure he was like, I can probably give you 100 euro or whatever and a place to sleep. And then, they, you know, Chatsa is a tiny, poor mining town. Like, there's not a lot of prospects in the, that town. And people in Slovakia, when I play, like, Bratislava and I talk about this, like, people are like, what were you doing in Chatsa? <laughs> um, it's not like, it's like, it was like if I played, like, if I came to America and played Morgantown, West Virginia or something like that. It's like a mining town that sort of doesn't have a lot going on anymore. Like, less than Morgantown's at least got college. You know, like, it's a... Um, the mind's bust. 
the town's crumbling. Slovakia is in a hard place. They took the Euro, so they're having a hard time. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of sort of like things going against that town, but still in that town, this guy was like, I want you to come here. I want to play. People came out, people danced, people got down. Mm-hmm. Um, and they made a club where there was no club. Like they made it all happen. And then the last verse is about this squat in Switzerland called the Dashtak Reitschule. And um, the Dashtak is. Look how fast that rolled off your tongue. I take German lessons. <laughs> um, my girlfriend's German, so I'm But like, Dashtak is like a, was an old uh, writing school, Reitschule. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a writing school, it was under kind of an overpass, and basically that whole area was just like a heroin shooting gallery. But they were, Bern is a really stodgy, conservative city, and there was, they were having a hard time having clubs, and so some punks 20 years ago took it over. 19 years ago, something like that. Took it over, turned it into a club, and it is like, um, for you know Minneapolis reference, um, it is basically like First Avenue. It's a 2,000 cap okay. room with a beautiful sound system. It's got a small room that's probably 250 people, but also it has like a really nice restaurant, and then it also has artist housing. And then everybody gets paid equally, and if you're the janitor and you want to be a sound engineer, they send you to sound school. Um, and this place is still completely illegal. Um, and people try to shut it down, cops try to shut it down, and they fight the police. And they've been doing this for 19 years. That's crazy. It's crazy. And like that sort of, that notion to an American is insane. Mm-hmm. Um, a, that, that this would exist, period. And that B, like the cops would come and you would fight them to keep this alive. The, the, <laughs> the notion of a music venue is that important that you would risk your life for it. Yeah. Um, like all of these people, like that's sort of the, the, those are the people that inspired me to make this record. Um, those are the kinds of people that inspire me continually. Um, those people that sort of like against better judgment, against rational thinking, um, continue to press on. And sort of because um, that's what my job is. I mean, like I'm not fighting the cops to do my job yet. But like <laughs> against better judgment, I'm doing a, it's a stupid job that I've chosen. Like the idea is to say like I'm going to be a rapper is the most ridiculous concept <laughs> to say out loud. And I decided to do it. And people like that sort of enable me to do that. And so that's sort of the the positive crux of the record. They also sort of inspire, like once I saw that, it was able to me like to give make a criticism backwards. Um, but that's sort of the, that's the, the backbone of the record. Can we, you might have to talk about a few other tracks. Yeah, go for it. I, I'm sure you haven't gotten a chance to yet. We're, since we're so we're like it's five weeks out, we've mm-hmm. got some time. Your big press push hasn't necessarily yeah, yeah. gone underway yet. Um, all right, let's go on. Let's guard the flame. One mm-hmm. of my favorite songs on the mm-hmm. record. Is it the closest to a love song you've come? No, no, no. It feel very romantic. It is very romantic. Um, on this record, it's maybe maybe it, the most romantic. This one is. I think maybe you could say in a weird way. Um, what's it called? Uh, uh, take the long way home. Yeah, there it take is. the long way home. God, I can never remember on song. <laughs> that's also a love story, but that's a really dark. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's, um, it's a little bit darker. Yeah, I mean that's for sure there, um, <laughs> and I think sometimes it's funny like. Um, Sometimes you don't necessarily know what you're writing about when you write. Um, and sometimes you just have a piece of music where something comes to you in a melody or lyrics just come to you and you just start writing. And it's not until years and years later that you sort of figure out what you're writing about. And it's funny as I got a text from my manager um, maybe like a few weeks ago. I've been dating a girl like long distance for a while. She lives in Germany. That's the learning German. Yeah, and she, <laughs> she's, she's moving here soon. To Minneapolis? She's going to come for the summer and we're going to no, try. I'm going to stay for the summer. There we go. Ease her into it. Um, she's going to come for the summer. Um, but yeah, so we've been kind of going through that for a while and figuring that out. And he asked me, he was like, is that about her? And I, it kind of dawned on me. I hadn't really thought about it. I didn't think about it when I wrote about it. Like sometimes you just don't know. Sometimes you just write. Like sometimes it's very considered and deliberate, and sometimes you just are following the muse. It's just coming to you. Yeah, and that was the first time I had thought about that. And I, um, 
think that yeah, it is a romantic song, and I think that it is about her, and I think it's about us, which is really um, makes me happy. Yeah, anyway, that's that's what I like is that it's almost like it, it, simple rap love songs mm-hmm. are very rare, <laughs> and so when I hear one, I'm always just like, oh, what's, this is surprising on an album that's already surprising. You're just like, oh, so. Again, getting one for the not even one for the ladies because it's not like soft in that way. No, like, no, no, no. A traditional love song would like if it sounds like a. Tr- it's not. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, for <laughs> it's, sure. It's in your wheelhouse still, but you're just like, oh, he's now he's being romantic. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's my own version of romantic. <laughs> like, it's running so fast that you catch on fire. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, all right. That's me, um, romance. So, Boiled Peanuts, the closer, mm-hmm. only song with a feature, and I noticed today that it's this this record has the least features of any of your albums in a decade. Mm-hmm. Just Lizzo on this song. Yep. Intentional or just you didn't have any other features? Um, sort of intentional. Um, I wanted this record to be just me. Um, and I wanted it to... Uh, and really the reason I had Lizzo on is because I couldn't sing that part. <laughs> Fair. I can't. I tried to. And I can't, I can't sing gospel. Um, <laughs> I can hit the notes. It just doesn't sound very good. And Lizzo killed it because she <laughs> is killer. Um, no, I, I was... I had toyed with the notion of like honestly like if I had any features on this record it was there were gonna be people um, if I the only people that I wanted to have on this record if I was gonna have features would have been like people like Trick Daddy like because it was like I wanted this record to be um, of that language and and Lizzo's from Houston Lizzo's of that language Lizzo's from the South like and it was this is my kind of a love story to the South it was an ode to the South and I wanted it to be that. Um, and Lizzo made sense, um, but I, you know, it, as much as I love like people like POS and my homies here or whatever, like they wouldn't made sense because it's they're, they're not southern, yeah. um, and so it needed to be that. Um, and so yeah, that was it wasn't like a I don't want features on this record. It was like I only want certain kinds of things on this record, and I has to fit this idea. Yeah, and I can't get Trick Daddy on the record. So. <laughs> not yet. Not yet. That's that's I'm waiting for that collaboration. Trust me, I'm gonna work on it. <laughs> Have you met him? No, I saw him in a, Jack the man. One time I saw him in the uh, Jacksonville airport. <laughs> I was leaving. It was back when I was still lived in Florida. Um, I was leaving to catch a flight, riding on the up escalator, and he was riding on the down escalator. And I just like I remember it so clearly. It was right. It was like the height, right after right around Thug Holiday or between Thug Holiday and the one after that. Um, and it was the height. And he was going down and he was wearing like all camouflage with camouflage hat and had his Perfect. play teeth and chain and his friends there. And, like, <laughs> and I just like stared at him the whole way. I'd never been that excited about <laughs> seeing a celebrity in my life. Oh man, that's awesome. <laughs> um, all right, my, my favorite song on the whole record, I think, is Forest Fire. Awesome, thanks. And it's, it's also almost a spoken word track at times. Mm-hmm. What, what's the story there on that song? There's a lot to digest in that. The whole record, there's a lot to digest, but that, even by the end of the first verse, you always have to hit pause and be like, okay, let me, let me break this down a little bit. That's sort of, that's a love song. I think that's a love song. <laughs> a lot it, of fire in your love songs. Yeah, there is. Um, there's a lot of fire in this record. That's the big thing about fire. Um, so it's a, uh, growing up in Florida, we get forest fires every summer. Um, and Hurricanes, forest fires. Yeah, man. you leave Florida. It is a pretty intense place to live. <laughs> Hurricanes, forest fires, and then dudes on bath salts trying to get in your face. <laughs> and then Florida, um, man. Yeah. yeah, Florida man. And so you get forest fires every summer. And I remember when I I moved there when I was 12 or 13 from like rural Maryland. And uh, uh, I remember when I first started the first summer that we had forest fires. And like they like, it's a very distinct smell. 
Um, not and, like a normal like. No, it's campfire. forest fire. It smells totally different. Um, and there's that line of forest fire has a smell to it. Yeah. Um, and it's a smell that just sort of permeates um, throughout the entire summer. Like it's just there. Um, and people out west will know that smell. And people in Florida will know that smell. Um, and sometimes it gets so bad where like the sun is this weird orange color and stuff. It's a really strange experience. Um, and yeah, I had this like the, that was a thing that I'd always wanted to write about. I wanted to write about the concept of a forest fire. There aren't many songs about forest fires. No, and I, and like and that's this you know you sit on ideas too. Like a lot of times you just sit on an idea forever. Um, and um, you know I wanted to use that image somewhere in a song, but I didn't know how. And I thought about like the idea of like forest fire burning like all the way to the river kind of thing. And using that sort of as a um, uh, an image or a metaphor for getting out of a place, like for moving on um, from your life. And it's a story of a guy and a girl that are sort of kind of treading water in a relationship, treading water in a world. And um, and yeah, the, the idea of like kind of finally getting chased out of it, you know, and leaving a trail of kind of burnt everything behind you. Um, <laughs> And yeah, and a lot of, um, I, I am firmly middle class, you know, I had a really lucky life. My, my parents are together in a very comfortable um, situation and my family is close. And But, uh, you know, part of growing up in the South, especially or growing up in rural areas is there's a lot of, it's a tough place for a lot of people to live sometimes. And it's a lot of like, you either get out or you get pregnant. <laughs> yeah, um, that's how I describe my hometown. Yeah, and so in Jacksonville is much the same. And like, um, and so there's a lot of friends of mine that, you know, try to get out and never got out. There's a lot of friends of mine that, that you know, got pregnant and made the best of it. There's friends of mine that got pregnant on purpose and made a happy family. But like, <laughs> that idea of like, that, that, that story is sort of about like, you know, your daddy's been here, your daddy's daddy's been here, your daddy's 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 been here, we've always been here. <laughs> Um, what are we going to do about it? Like, yeah. we don't want to be here anymore. We should get the hell out. Um, mm -hmm. And it doesn't necessarily, I think, from the way I wrote the song, it feels like they get out, but it doesn't necessarily give you an answer. Um, yeah. So I sort of leave it open to interpretation a little bit. I like when I discover things like that where you use like this big metaphor of forest fire that I haven't heard before because, and I'm sure you get this, being in entertainment, you hear so many of the same ideas recycled so many times uh that it, it that you get to a point where you're, you're almost itching to hear that thing that you're like mm. what's something we've never heard someone talk about before i remember i saw uh, i saw david tell you stand up last fall and he came on stage and he, he opened with an owl joke and afterwards he's like how many of you have ever heard an owl joke before it wasn't even a good joke but he was there just is. like uh, you could tell that his brain was just like I, I don't think anyone's ever done one of those before i'm gonna yeah, do an owl joke that's hilarious <laughs> um Let's got a few more things here. Mm -hmm. uh, no don't don't want you to get too burnt out. Take your time, man. Uh, <laughs> let's uh, while we're still on the record, let's let's get to the Almar because I do love it. Looking like a looking like a boxer post match. Can't mm -hmm. tell if you won or lost the fight, but you're there. Where when did that idea come about? Um, I had the idea of me having a black eye for a really long time. Um, and All your album covers seem to feature you, which I love. Mm, just the last one. Just the last, the yeah, last one. I that, love the cover of the last record, too. It's, thank you very much. That was really funny because um, I never wanted to put my face on the album cover. I never wanted to put my face on anything. <laughs> and, I like that. You go back now. Yeah, I never. I hated it I, on my merch or anything. And I had a, um, I've had a lot of people that have been really nice have taken me under their wing. And um, one of my big sort of like breaks in my career that was a big help was Tegan and Sarah took me out on tour. Yeah. 
And when we were out on tour, I remember like hanging out with them and maybe Tegan, I can't remember which one. And one, one of them, I think it seems like something Tegan would say. <laughs> Tegan was like, she was like, why don't you have a t-shirt with your face on it? And I was like, I don't know, it seems weird. You know, I don't know, it felt weird. And she was like, Andy, you're not wearing the shirt. It's not your shirt. It's not supposed to be, it's not supposed to be you that like buys this shirt. You're not making it for you. You're making it for other people. People want to buy you. They want to buy you. She's like, why don't you have an album cover with your face on it? I was like, I don't know, it feels weird, you know? Yeah. And they were like, they both were like, just go to our merch person, ask our merch person, um, you know, which, which shirt sells the best. And it was this dumb shirt that had their faces on it. <laughs> and it was the dumbest design, but it had their faces on it. Their and, biggest record is the one with their faces on it. Yeah, and so like, and then, and it was like this realization of like, and this may be like disjointed for like music fans to listen to, um, but like, and I'm sure there's music fans that will like hear me say this, but like, and be like, and kind of make them feel icky. But ultimately, like, while my like, I'm very like steadfast in the creative content of my records. I am making my records for people to listen to and to sell. Um, and so like, I don't really think about that too much when I make my records. But when it comes down to like the packaging of my thing, it's a pa packaging a product. And so I want to make a product that people like, that people will yeah. be engaged with. Um, and there was this realization of like, yeah, you should put your faces on the record. Like, there's a reason that people do that. Like, you're selling yourself, and especially because I'm not like a band. Like, I'm a guy. Yeah. Um, and, and and so much about my career is about me. Like, people knowing about my personal life, like following me on tour, following me on Instagram, and seeing these things. And so it should be sort of about me. Mm -hmm. um, but then, so that was always sort of there. Um, but then, yeah, the idea of a black eye was really sort of important. And it came in a lot of iterations, but the idea of this, uh, you know, really having a, a really gnarly black eye, but also having a really big shit-eating grin on my face. <laughs> and the idea of, like, yeah, really taking a solid fucking blow, but not giving a shit and being, yeah, uh, being yeah. content. Taking your licks and, yeah, yeah. Okay, fair enough. Um, I love the flag. The flag pre-order. Sidewinder mm -hmm. has done a lot of great pre-orders, but the flag did that catch you off? Catch you by surprise? They well, they said that? they suggested a flag, and I was like, "What do you? What do you? What do what you? What would mean? you put on? Yeah, what, what do you mean?" And they were like, uh, "Maybe just like the the Florida flag." And I was like, "No," and, and then we like, but like changed the words, and I was like, "No, we got to change the whole flag." And so my friend uh, Nick uh, Quintero, who's from Dallas, he's a really amazing illustrator. Um, I had told him the idea. And he was just like, say no more, my man. And like within like three hours, turn that around. Um, <laughs> it's so cool. I'm so excited about it. And I'm really hoping that like, I really hope that people go to like schools and businesses in Florida and like take down the original Florida <laughs> flag and put that up. Because it's so similar that people wouldn't notice for a long time. Oh man, that'd be great. Yeah. Someone just raising the flag at their whatever fast food joint with a flag out front. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah, it's swapping it out for the cut the body loose flag. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Anyone listening? You have, a, yeah. you have a challenge? Yeah, and I'm absolving myself of all legal responsibility. Uh, <laughs> you uh, you should be in Florida soon, right? Is your tour going to Florida? You Not this run, but then... Um, you do, So you're doing the U.S., going overseas, coming back and doing yeah. the U.S. again, right? Yeah, yeah. So we're doing like basically doing a quick run. May of, 5th in New York, you start. Yep. Uh, no, May 5th, we start in Chicago. Chicago. Sorry. Chicago, and Madison, it's all good. And then we kind of work our way around and basically do sort of big cities in the east. Mm -hmm. And then I go to Europe and do big cities in Europe, and then come back and do big cities in the West. And then we're gearing up for a gigantic tour this fall, and then probably next year covering everything in America and everything in Europe. And everything this May June run, this is all headlining. Yep. Yeah. Now you you pick your support acts. 
Uh, for this one, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and most of the time, I, yeah, most of the time I do. Sometimes so I'll why take these, why these two acts? Chesky is... Um, Amazing, but otherwise. Yeah, Chesky is the, <laughs> is the best. I mean, Chesky, beyond the fact that, like, man, so many... Chesky is one of the kind of... Time will sort of pan out and history will pan out. And I think that people will realize how important Chesky was to a lot of people's music careers. And a lot of people owe a lot to Chesky. Not just financially, but support. And Chesky sort of... We're running over his record label, Fig Four Records, sort of sacrifice his own career for the benefit of a lot of other people, myself especially. I owe a great deal to Chesky. Um, beyond that, he is the best, the best. <laughs> He's one of the best live shows I've ever seen in my life. I've seen him probably 20 times. Um, I have a hard time like watching him because it distracts me from preparation for my own <laughs> show. And the record that he just made, He's always made, I've always really liked his records. He's always had really good songs. This record is the most cohesive and it, it, I think it's, is the record he's been working to make all his life. Okay. And I think it had a lot to do with the fact that like he's had to, finally had the time to focus on himself. Um, and so it's, for me, like it was a no-brainer. Like I wanted, I wanted him on the whole dang thing because he's the best. <laughs> no, that, I mean, that makes sense. Uh, you mentioned this earlier. So you're, you're pretty big in the UK. Europe? Is that, Europe. Is that your... Mainly in Europe. Europe. UK is building, but mainly in Europe is definitely... <laughs> okay. Yeah. No, that's, that's a sign of someone that's truly found success over there because you separate the two. Well, they're two very different worlds. The way you're treated... Touring in the UK is much like touring in, in America or Canada. Touring mainly in Europe is it is the greatest place in the world to be a touring musician. Okay, why is that? They take care of you in a way that no one else takes care of you. Whether I'm playing like a very fancy high-end venue or whether I'm playing a completely illegal squat of a dungeon in Marseille, France, like they, you get there, there's food laid out. Do you want an espresso or a glass of wine or a beer? Cool, we'll help you load your stuff in. This is your sound designer. This is your lighting designer. I am your production manager. This is your green room. Your apartment is around the corner. <laughs> like, it, it's just the bare minimum. Like, it doesn't matter what the level of venue you're playing is. That's the standard. Dinner will be served at this time. Come back in the morning, we'll make you breakfast. Like, this is, that's how it goes. Wow. You get paid, you get taken care of, and this is just the expectation of promoters and club owners. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's a lot like this is like, you could I could literally do a two hour podcast just about this um, <laughs> but there's a lot of like cultural things that go into that there's a lot of like um, political things that go into that um, but like there's a huge difference between touring in the UK and touring in the continental Europe and so we've just the other big difference too is that like you can just come into the continental Europe with two duffel bags for the merch and no one cares. <laughs> the UK actually cares their, their border. And so like it's a little bit more strict. Um, fair enough, fair so you have to have work visas and stuff like that. You come to Europe, you don't need a work visa. They don't care. <laughs> um, and so as a result, like it's it's a different world over there. We've just started going back to, we've just started hitting the UK in the last two years. And so that's kind of still building, but mainly in Europe is. is Do you think you're me. maybe bigger in Europe than you are in the States or in parts of Europe? Mainly in Europe? Um, I think there are parts, I mean, like probably out of the top five biggest cities for me in, in the world, probably half of them are European <laughs> um, and, and Central European or Eastern European, actually. Um, and, but I think overall, like, I'm, you know, I'm probably a little bit bigger in America, but it's starting to kind of even out. That's cool. Just great. Well, I was just, I just find it interesting, especially an artist at your level where maybe, where you're not necessarily like on the front page of every big hip hop website or whatever, but you have this very fervent, very vocal, very dedicated following all over the world that you're able to establish without needing those things. Mm-hmm. And so now you're at this point where you have this album, you have side one behind you and they will definitely get you great placements, but you don't necessarily rely on let's say, the source coming through and saying that they love the astronaut list. No, I gave up on it all. Like, I gave up on all that. Like, was that the key to getting to where you are now, you think? It's, yeah, for sure. Eventually, because it was a, we pitched, I mean, 
there was a point where we pitched to every booking agency and they all turned us down. We like, you know, pitched to every magazine and for the most part, with the exception of a couple of really nice people out there, shout out Jonah Bear. Um, like, <laughs> Jonah's a good dude, yeah. Have turned me down. Like, and didn't, and you know, people would always take me on sort of as like a, a cause. Yeah. So any review I got was a cause. It was people that just really believed in me and thought like, people need to hear this. And so like, what? And so, other than that, we gave up on that. Like, so we gave up on agents, we gave up on people, and we started doing it ourselves. And we were just like, cool, they're not gonna care, we're not gonna stop, so let's keep doing it. And you know, through that, like, we started booking, mostly my manager was booking these crazy huge tours, just like, you know, 60 dates in the States or whatever. Um, and then from that, agents were like, whoa, how is this guy doing this? And then we got an agent. <laughs> and then, like, you know, through that, that's all started to sort of kind of like, because we did it on our own, people started to pay attention. Oh, yeah. I mean, it wasn't like any grand calculation on ours. It was just that we couldn't, we tried to do it the regular way. We couldn't do it the regular way. No one would let us, and so we had to do it our own way. In my, in my experience, if people don't think that they can make money off of you, they wait until you started making money yourself, and then they're like, well, now we'll take it. Well, yeah, for sure. And I mean, I don't begrudge, because I mean, that's how it works. That's how it works. Because, like, being an agent, is hard work and it's thankless. Like you don't get. Um, no one know. knows a famous agent. Yeah, and booking <laughs> agents, are, you only get ten percent. And so a booking agent is getting you seventy-five dollars a night or whatever. Yeah. Like if you're only earning fifty bucks a night, he's literally sending a thousand emails for that show and getting five dollars from it. Like that's a hard, thankless job. And so I understand why agents are skeptical to take people on. Like I understand why that's like a. It's a hard fight. That's a hard fight, but you seem to make it work. I try my damnedest. You try good, I got man, I, I got a really. I'm really lucky. I have good people because um, I wouldn't have been able to do it without good people. Well, I think you, you kind of hit the nail on the head though, because you are in this position where anyone I know that is like you know in in tune with everything you're doing right now, they they have that taking taking it as a cause kind of ness to their. They don't just they're not like yeah, I heard that record and it's good. They they hear about it and they want to talk to people about mm-hmm. it. And I think that that's really the, that's the place that so many artists want or need to be because if you what's above that is just we just talk about it like a Drake where we just we just comment on it. Yep. No one really just, no one's changing that flow. But no. people get behind your music. They're like they're part of something. They know that you can still go up, you can go down, you can do you have movement and they have a role in helping. Them. Yeah, I mean, because music is free now. Like art and music is free now, and so ultimately purchasing you actually using money for art and music to see a live show to buy a t-shirt to buy a cd that's inherently a political act because you don't need you don't need a t-shirt you certainly don't need to pay money to get the record yeah um and so ultimately people are buying that as a show of solidarity um and so at the end of the day like it's not enough to make a good song you have to make a good album and it's not enough to just make a good album you have to put on a good show and it's not enough to make a good album and put on a good show but you have to be a good guy yeah and like i and there are artists that hate that and I think they're lazy. Um, and I, I don't think that that's unreasonable. In the same yeah. sense that it's not enough for a company to make a good product, they also have to be not dicks. Yeah. And there's a reason that like when a company ex- gets exposed as being a dick, that there's a huge backlash against them. It's not enough that they just make good products. They have to be not shitty people. And, and I think that that's... You know, as much as I would love to have existed in the time when musicians made a ton of fucking money off record sales, I don't care. I never made money off record sales. I make money elsewhere. I pay my bills elsewhere. And ultimately, I work my ass off on my records. I work my ass off on my show. And I try to be a really nice guy so that people will give a damn about me. Mm -hmm. Um, Because not only do I want people to give a damn about me, but that's the right way to run your business. That's the right way to be a human being. Be decent. If you're going to do a thing, do it well and be a nice guy when you do it. (laughs) Like, yeah, that seems like a no-brainer to me. What uh, what is the ultimate? 
Album comes out next month, May 13th, for anyone listening, because this will drop for a little few days beforehand. Uh, what ideally comes of this record for you? Like, what is the best case scenario for this album? Hmm. Do, you ha- do you go into it with goals, or is it just you made the best album you could, you're going to put it out there? You could certainly go into it with dreams, you know? Yeah, like, okay, let's go there. What are the dreams? I mean, the, the, and the, honestly, like, um, to be quite real, there's part of me that wants, like, I have, I'm very proud of my ability as a rapper, I feel like I'm a really good rapper. It's something that I really spent a lot of time. I, mean, I would agree. Obviously, you're here, so I spent a lot. Of, <laughs> I spent a lot of time honing it, and I spent a lot of time working on it, and then I ignored it for okay. like ten years while I made records that were not necessarily rap records. Um, there's part of me that wants people to like. I want people to understand that I can rap my ass off. Like, <laughs> there's a real like kind of ego in there that is like, look, motherfuckers, I can rap my ass off. I just chose not to. Yeah. But then beyond that, like. Um, there are a lot of artistic goals that are sort of heady and kind of ethereal, like the idea of like that I love when people write me and say things like about my last record, like I, I listened to your last record, I quit my job, and now I'm starting a tattoo shop or whatever the fuck. Like that sort of thing is, that's the inc- most incredible reward. Um, there's emotional sort of connections there that just like, that blows my mind. Um, but the big thing for me, like sort of artistically, is that I, I want to, um, I'm really throwing my fans for a curveball with this record. And I want to change the way that people listen to my records. I want people... I've made a lot of headphone records. Mm-hmm. A lot of records you put headphones on, you sit down in a chair, you drink or you smoke a joint or whatever you listen to and you yeah. digest the lyrics. I want to make a record... This, this record was like, I want to make a record that is much more visceral in response and ultimately makes the shows much more visceral in response. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to try to pull a party out of people. And I want to pull it out of people that don't necessarily party. There's a lot of party music out there, and it's made for people who party. Yeah. And I want to get people that are uncomfortable with dancing, dancing. Like people I want, who don't listen to Designer. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, people who don't listen to Designer. Um, Future Junior. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, which I was actually singing Panda today while I was cleaning yeah, the kitchen. I was on the elevator to come get you. It's cool. It's a great song. Um, and, but I want, I want to pull that out of people. Um, so there's a lot of sort of like kind of ephemeral kind of concepts like that. But then beyond that, I just want... I want more people to hear my records. Um, I want the. I mean, the goal always is to like continue to um, employ my friends, to pay my bills, to make whatever kind of fucking music I want, yeah. and get to do that for the rest of my life. And I hope that I can employ more of my friends. I hope that I can have a, some slightly more expensive bills, and I hope that I can continue to make whatever the hell I want for the rest of my life. Will there ever come a day when we see an astronautless label? Have you thought about going that route? Nah. You've been all over the place. You've had quite a few labels, and and they're all over the place. Where I was yeah. like. I didn't realize you'd been on Eyeball. Mm-hmm. Now, rest in peace, Eyeball. But <laughs> nah, I didn't go to hell. I'm on record of that. It's true. I was trying to. Move. Nah, fuck them. I just and, it's, and I'm actually about to make. We just got our record back from Eyeball, pomegranate from them. After a long, prolonged case, Alex Saavedra is a fucking terrible human being. I've heard that story. And I'm going to be very public about it because we're, we just took down all of our records um, off of iTunes because we're re-releasing. Cargo's repressing our back catalog in Europe and we're re-releasing it. They're taking okay. control of it in Europe on digital and then so we're going to re-put it up on digital on our own but we get to put Pomegranate and we own Pomegranate again finally after a long, prolonged battle. That guy's a terrible human being. He robbed a lot of artists and a lot of money. He <laughs> sold my record on his website, took people's money and then never mailed them copies. Like, 
that dude is a scumbag. I'm surprised you got the record back because I know some artists who he just keeps repressing the record. Well, the reason that we got it back is because he owed us thousands of dollars <laughs> and we went to his bankruptcy attorney and said, look, you can either pay us this money or you can just give us the record back. We got that um, record back. And they, his bankruptcy attorney How was fast like, did they get you the record back? Not as fast as we like. Warner Brothers got it back real fast because it's distributed through Warner. So our eyeballs was a subsidiary of Warner and Warner Brothers was like, absolutely take it because he owes Warner Brothers way more money than he owes me. Um, but he owes me more um, a, a ungodly sum of money to me like a lot of money to me which is not a lot of money to a lot of people but it's a lot of money to me and he owes me a lot of money because a lot of fans a lot of money and fuck that guy <laughs> because the good news is we won motherfucker yeah. fuck that guy I mean that's how the industry works though if you're an asshole you get outed you get outed and, and you get you fucking off. served and it's great man it was great it was great the way he treated people how many times he threatened to sue me the fact that he was still signing bands even though his company was out of business it was terrible there's, there's some of those mid-2000s labels that were real big on the fake lawsuit threats. Oh or my God. Like the constantly, every time. Like Even as a, as a journalist coming from my side, if you said something they didn't like, it wouldn't be uncommon to get an email that was like, you don't want to hear from my lawyer. Like, why would you? He threatened to sue me when we put out our last record. Um, with that? Uh, uh, fake Four. Yeah, yeah. From, from Connecticut. He and like Warner Brothers called us up and was like, um, we called my manager and my man, they tried to put a cease and desist saying he's still on a record and they were in breach of contract like a thousand ways. And um, my manager like talked to Warner and like, and the, that dude was like, oh, yeah, okay, not a problem, carry on, no big deal. Good luck on the record. Yeah, and it was just like, you clown motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, I got no love, man, absolutely zero. So we can expect that to come back out. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. So right now, all of my records are disappearing um, from digital this week and then they're going to go back up and then everything is going to be repressed to vinyl thanks to Cargo Records. It's the best. So excited, and uh, so yeah, everything didn't come back out. And the beauty of it is, is that like while I will be, it's it is technically on my own record label. Um, these things being re-released, I don't ever want to run the label. It's so much work. It's a headache, right? It's so much work, and it's like a, so much. Work. It's like a vanity thing, and it's very hard to make it work. Um, one for of the anyone. reasons, <laughs> yeah, for anyone. And one of the reasons I signed with Side One and not other labels that we we were talking to is that like we were talking to a bunch of new kind of labels, that, you know, upstart labels or whatever. Side one is an established record label, and that's a really hard thing to do. It's hard to keep any business open for 20 years, and Side One did that. Cargo Records did that. I don't ever. I don't like. In a perfect world, I hope I never. I hope that I. I hope that my relationship with Cargo and Side One is so good that I never have to sign to another record label ever again. Because it's working. Because right? I. I hope it stays this way. So I stay with them forever. Because <laughs> I don't want to go to other labels. Like I don't want. That's jobs. That sucks. It sucks to shop for labels. It's denigrating. It's humiliating. It's annoying. It's frustrating. It's uncertain, and ultimately, like I, one of the reasons that I like Side One is that they're like a home for a lot of artists, and I want them to be my home. I, I don't want to run on record label. It's terrible. It's hard to imagine a lot of labels where I think you would just fit in as well as I feel like you do at Side One, because even though you fit out, they you fit into that niche of just like a little alternative, alternative mm -hmm. in your own way. Yeah. But that's what they do. They break alternative artists. For sure, and like Joseph said, he was like. You don't make sense on our label at all, and that's why you make sense. <laughs> it's <laughs> true. That was really, really nice. That's basically how they can introduce all of their new signings. Yeah, right. Totally. Another curveball from side one. Totally, which is awesome to me. That's really cool to me is that like they are, and that's how they're going to stay alive. Like that's how a record label like that stays alive. They continue to reinvent themselves. They continue to like kind of test the waters around them, and they continue to sort of look for cool things that are still like we all grow. And if they just kept putting out like you know bands that sounded like their old bands, like they would die. But ultimately, there's cool stuff out there that still fits within their like their ethos and their, their morality code and their kind of like ideal artistically. That's still uh, an update on an idea, and to me, that's super exciting. Uh, one of the last questions here, moving from uh, moving from Florida, which is a popular 
it has its own music scene. It has a, this rap scene in the southern half of Florida, at least. What is it like to be a, a rap artist in Minneapolis, Minnesota? Because they even want to tell people I work here in the music industry. They're like, are you, do you work at Rhyme Sayers? And when yeah. I say no, they're like, no. And I'm sure people are like, so are you on Rhyme Sayers? People assume that all the time. I mean, it is. <laughs> so it's really, um, because Rhyme Sayers being Rhyme Sayers, Rhyme Sayers really sort of setting the tone for a lot of things and it being sort of this mecca for kind of alternative rap music. It is great. Prof is on the show soon. Yep. Great awesome. Dude. Fantastic. What's up, Prof? Um, <laughs> yeah, it is great. And Doomtree and Rhyme Sayers are... I mean, I was aw- I was made aware of Minneapolis because of Rhyme Sayers, because I saw Atmosphere in 99, like bowling alley in Dallas. Um, wow. And then, crazy. like, I fell in love with this city because I learned about, like, my next band from Minneapolis that I really loved was Fog. Mm-hmm, and Andrew mm-hmm. Broder um, is still, I think, one of the best, most brilliant musicians that's ever existed. Um, and then I started coming to this city because of Doomtree, because I became friends with POS. Um, this city is not only great to be a rapper in, it's great to be a rapper because it's a great city for that. People love rap music here. Yeah. I didn't realize it. until I moved here how much yeah. people love rap music They do, here. and it's like, another level. If a concert sells out in this town, it's rap first, for followed sure. by any other genre. But beyond that, it <laughs> is great to be a musician here. I mean, like, the thing is, is that um, what exists in a town like this, I love Seattle when I came here. And Seattle doesn't have as good a music scene as Minneapolis, in my opinion. The And it's... F- cultural and then there's a lot of technical things too like the cultural sort of um desire to see shows people go to shows in this town Mm -hmm. it's a town that's not huge but you can have five shows in every venue in town and all of them will sell out like you can have taylor swift play the target center you have someone play first avenue someone play triple rock you have someone play the cedar cultural center someone play the turf club and they'll all sell out and that doesn't happen anyplace. I live in Dallas, which Dallas is like five times as big as Minneapolis, yeah. and it is a hard city to be a musician. <laughs> there's like 10 million people in that place, and there's a hard city to be a musician. Houston's even bigger, and there's, it's even harder to be a musician in that city. And beyond that, you have tons of radio. Radio that plays local musicians. Rap radio, rock radio, indie radio. You have all this radio that supports you. And then you have all these free weekly papers that support you. And you have these fans that support you, and you have these venues that support you, and all of that is does not ex- like the maybe like it exists in New York and L.A. just because of the population. Yeah, but again, that's like it's not. Million. Yeah, it's not a cult. That's not cultural. Like this is this is something beyond population. Like those exist because there's just that many people. So you'll find a niche. Yeah. yeah, eventually you'll bump into the people that are there. Mm-hmm. What exists in Minneapolis doesn't exist anywhere else in America. Maybe Austin. Close. But, like, not the same. Still, it's a little different. It's a little different, for sure. And I moved here because of that. The music scene here is the most supportive and the most collaborative. Um, Everybody works together on stuff. That's how, like, you know, bands... Police became a band because people started working together. (laughs) Like, that wouldn't ever work together. Like, that's, to me, the coolest part about this community beyond the support of radio, the support of writers, the support of venues, and the support of fans is the support the musicians have for each other. Everybody goes to everybody's shows. Everybody celebrates everybody's victories. Everybody's super excited for each other. And it's, you know, you could criticize it and say it's nepotistic and self-serving, but man, I would take nepotistic and self-serving any day of the week (laughs) over just kind of floundering. I lived in Jacksonville, Florida. It's a tough place to be a musician. And if you want to criticize this town about being nepotistic, then you're more than welcome to move to Jacksonville. (laughs) Oh, yeah. When I got one of the the free bi-weeklies for the first time, the first first thing I noticed was like, there are like 40 venues in this city. Like every bar has a stage, it seems. And they all work. And they all have five nights, yeah, five nights a week of live music. Bands you've never heard of, some Mm -hmm. you have. 
Uh, you, specifically, you have two upcoming shows here. And at the end of June, at the end of this run you have coming up, mm-hmm. you, you go overseas, you come back, and you have two dates. Mm-hmm. One all ages, the other one not all ages? Is mm-hmm. that the difference? Uh, well, no, it ended up being both 18 plus. There's a rule, St. Paul wouldn't allow us to do all ages. Oh, and yeah, so, yeah, I, like the last press release, I remember I said all ages. That's why I was like, oh. Yeah. So... What are what are astronomical shows like? What are people getting themselves into? They're super sweaty. They're like church with whiskey. Um, church without God and church with whiskey. Sub God replaced <laughs> whiskey. Um, and especially this latest record, the shows are kind of becoming more sweaty dance affairs. Um, and yeah, I, I wholly encourage people to <laughs> sing along. And if they don't know the words, they should make up the words, and then everybody should dance. Um, and everyone should leave super sweaty and make friends, and, and it should, you should get a beer dumped on yourself, and it should be pretty wild. I'm going to the Skyway Theater for the first time ever tonight, so I don't think I've been to either of the venues that you have these shows at, so maybe I'll just wait and see you at them. Oh, man, they're both great. Turf Club and, and Tur- Turf Club has been sort of taken over and redone, and now it's really, really beautiful. It was always a great, like character venue, but now it's got a really great sound system. And 7th Street is, man, one of the best small venues in the world. It's fantastic. They have a great lineup of shows. Again, awesome. everything is always sold out in the city when it comes to rap. It yeah. is crazy. Yeah, man, they're good at it. And we know that everyone, everyone's good at what they do here, and they know what they're doing, and, and everyone works really hard. It's it's a really cool place to live. I feel really thankful to be here. I'm coming around to it. Okay. <laughs> Wait till the summer. <laughs> That's what everyone says. Yeah, summer will change your life. Uh, all right, so Cut the Body Loose. May 13th, mm-hmm. Side One Dummy Records. You got this tour, kicks off May 5th. Mm-hmm. That's east side of America. Mm-hmm. Overseas, come back. Is the second half West Coast? West Coast, and yeah. Back to the Seattle, back just basically down. Yeah, Seattle down. And so this is kind of short runs. We'll kind of hit a, we'll do a big full run in the fall. It's going to hit all the, all the other places. Is that going to be headlining? Can't tell me yet. Uh, we're sort of not all the details. So I, will <laughs> announce, I will announce when it's announced. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, next single, can you tell us that? People will hear, have heard it by the Yeah, time. yeah, I think we're going to put out uh, Attila Ambrose. Um, yeah, sort of like kind of to throw a curveball at people and put something totally different out. Um, and so that's going to come out probably in a week or two, something like that. Where, where can people keep up with everything Astronautilus? Um, Facebook Astronautilus, Twitter Astronautilus, Instagram Astronautilus. Uh, you, you're pretty, you impressed me with your Twitter skills. You're pretty fast. I try to be. Yeah, you're try, always on it. I'm always. I'm. I try to be. I like. I. I. I hate Facebook, but I have to do it. It's my job. I. Lo- I have a love hate relationship with Twitter. Um, I really love Instagram. Instagram is my favorite. Instagram is the place. Yeah, it's the place. But you can keep up with me in all those places. Yeah, yeah. And I write everybody on all those places, and I try to stay in touch with everybody and try to be really. Good. Yeah, if, if Instagram fixed their like their ability to comment back and forth a little bit, it'd be perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. like the one area where they're just eh, no under. All right, man. Well, I think. And we got like 115 here, so I think we're doing good. But Great. I hope I didn't burn you out. No, it's all good, man. I'm so happy you came by to do this. You're the first one to come to the studio. The prof is going to be the next one, so that awesome. should be interesting. Awesome. Uh, his bar breaker video is awesome, man. And he goes in on that verse, too. It's so good. Yeah, no, the verse itself. Yeah. I showed my fiance that bar breaker video, and she was like, What is this? That's why awesome. is why is that girl naked? And I was like, Well, he's on the bang bus, obviously. It's prof. <laughs> it's prof. And why are we asking questions? <laughs> Just enjoy. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, so people can find you in all those places. Yep, astronautalist.com. Astronautalist.com. Yep. Something you, once you learn to spell your phone, we'll learn it, and then yep. it'll, it'll be yep. good. Yeah, it's I, astronaut, A-L-I-S. I thought of it when I was 15, and then I'm stuck with it. It's stupid. I was going to ask if it was like a nickname, where that nah, came from. it's nothing cool. It's just, I thought it sounded cool. It, it is cool. It's nah. it's cool that way. It, it, it I've grown to love it again. Almost seems like very highbrow rap when you first say, like, astronaut. Yeah, that was sort of the intent when I was 15. <laughs> I was trying to be a bit of a rap snob. Uh, all right, man. Any last thoughts for the fans? Anyone listening? at home anything that we missed maybe nah man I'll see you guys at the show